Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to The Heart Strong, a podcast where we explore navigating the challenges in our lives. It's my personal mission to guide you towards your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living heart strong. Welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. Earlier this season, I had the opportunity to interview a young man named Ryan Scoble. That was episode 43. Ryan is an NCAA lacrosse player who found out that he needed a heart transplant after being diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. And after he received his new heart, he made it back to the lacrosse field in record time, which is what made people like the Wall Street Journal and the Today Show interested in his story. And so not only did Ryan need a heart transplant, but his father did as well. And so it's quite a story. But here's what I know. Behind every person who goes through a challenge, who goes through something that is sort of life altering, there are someone behind them walking them through it. There's someone in their corner that's sort of helping them to get through it. And so today I have the pleasure of talking to Kelly Scoble, who is Ryan's mom. And I want to shed some light on the heroes behind the scene. We often look at the people that go through the situation, but we all know there's people behind the scene. And so I asked her to come on the show because I wanted to talk to her about what it was like to watch her son and her husband go through a heart transplant, but also to talk about about her and what she learned about herself in the process. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here. So let's just dive in. But I thought it would be good to start out with a little bit of your story in case people didn't listen. By the way, it's episode 43 if you want to go back and listen to Ryan's episode. But tell us about how you learned that both Ryan and your husband, Steve, needed a heart transplant and just a little bit about what was happening in your family at that time. Sure, sure. It was unexpected in both cases and um, and on a kind of a the same but separate timelines. So it started in November of 2020, um, where my my husband was feeling ill. He had um, some um, congestion and thought he had a cold, maybe pneumonia. It was it was pretty severe, but at the time it was COVID. So his doctor's appointments were video appointments and things like that. We eventually um, it progressed to a point that we got him into an emergency room to be seen, and he was diagnosed with end stage heart failure um, after they took a look at him and and things like that. And a lot of the symptoms are the same um, as far as the congestion and things like that. That it looks like a cold. It does not look like anything related to the heart. Um, that emergency room admittance ended up to be a several month process where his health um, declined rapidly. He was in the hospital diagnosed with COVID. Um, he was had declined to a point where he was put on ECMO, which is a life support system where he was taken off of lung and heart support to give his body a rest. And he was um, treated with um, an LVAD, which is a left ventricular assist device. It's basically a, a heart pump that is is put into his body with external batteries. So it was mm -hmm. it's a 
he awoke from essentially being on an ECMO to having an LVAD. He was incapacitated at the time. So all those decisions were made um, by me with his care team and things like that unbeknownst to him. So uh, he awoke with an LVAD um, and we began that long recovery process. So um, fast forward, um, and it was not fast at the time, by the way, but fast forward to right. January of 2021, he was finally released released from the hospital um, just in time to spend a couple of days with both of my children who are both college age. Ryan um, is my oldest, but I also have a daughter, Devin, who was returning to her um, her sophomore year of college. Um, spent a couple of days with them. We celebrated all the holidays that he had missed, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, um, all in that week's period of time. Um, and then the kids went back to school and we began our recovery process and kind of adjusting to our new normal with him and the LVAD device. Um, and we were continuing on that journey and making progress. Um, he was getting stronger, uh, very weakened from, by the way, being bedridden for that amount of time, like needed assistance to get up the stairs. Um, we needed a belt to get him up out of chairs. It was, it was a long recovery. Um, we were finally seeing um, him strengthen and seeing that progress continue. And then in March, it was probably around the mid of March, it was right after Ryan's 21st birthday, we received the very unexpected call that he had been also been feeling sick at school. He had told me about some of his symptoms, but I never, even after being through all of that with my husband, never connected it to heart failure. Um, he, mm. he is a college athlete. I just did not, mm. he was, did not imagine that that could happen. Um, so mid March was when he had his, um, his, incident on the on the field that you covered with him in his in his mm -hmm. discussion and he was also unexpectedly diagnosed with late stage heart failure um so I uh, immediately mobilized my team of supporters in Cincinnati to um, pick up on helping with Steve's care and got in a car and drove up to Erie, Pennsylvania, where Ryan was. And we began his journey um, at that time. Um, and he was able to return home briefly, um, even with the diagnosis. I was, um, we could not get him an immediate transfer into um, some place like the Cleveland Clinic. It was, um, you know, it just wasn't possible at that time. So I wanted to get him home to see Steve's care team. Um, it was fortuitous that I had already had a really strong education on heart failure and um, the, what the, what that diagnosis means and what are the treatment options and what of, you know, what it looks like and, and feels like and, and, the importance of getting a good care team around you. So I returned Ryan to Cincinnati where he began being seen by Steve's care team. Um, and they very quickly came to the conclusion that Ryan would need uh, a heart transplant, um, that his heart was actually even more enlarged than Steve's. It was a different, same diagnosis, but different journey. Um, and they were keen to get him transferred to a facility um, that had transplants available. At the time, 
that hospital did not. Um, they do now, which is great. But mm -hmm. at the time, a local option was not available. So we got the transfer to Cleveland Clinic and began our journey there with Ryan's transplant um, while Steve recovered at home with his LVAD. Um, Ryan received his transplant um, uh, the day after Mother's Day in uh, May of 2021. Uh, we had his recovery process there in Cleveland, uh, returned back home eventually in June of 2021, um, and resumed our new normal now with Ryan newly transplanted and Steve still gaining strength from his LVAD. Um, Steve was motivated by Ryan's transplant um, process. He knew at the time that an LVAD is a bridge to a transplant. So he was really motivated to strengthen himself um, more aggressively to get ready for a transplant, which was, which was all great. Um, but we weren't expecting Steve's transplant for a while. Um, both of both of the um, the guys in my family are tall. Um, Steve has a hard blood type, so we were expecting a weight um, for mm -hmm. Steve's heart. As and, and additionally, he was doing well with the LVAD, so he wasn't really in a crisis mode. Um, but despite our thoughts that that might come later rather than sooner, in September of 2021, uh, Steve got the call that his a heart was available. And we then left Ryan in his recovery. Again, I called my support network. I'm leaving leaving my newly transplanted son at home alone uh, so I can go get my husband transplanted. And then we went in the opposite direction of Cleveland to uh, Nashville, to Vanderbilt, where he received his transplant um, and stayed there for a couple months through his recovery um, in Nashville. So I lived in Cleveland, Nashville, and Cincinnati that year. Um, I think I spent a total of five months living at home. The rest of the time was separated between those two cities and those two transplants. Yeah. So during this process, like I know you're, you're probably, I'm imagining just from my own experience, you're someone in survival mode. You're just like, we're just going to do this and get through yes. it. But in those quiet moments, maybe when you were driving to Cleveland or drive, you know, what was going through your head? Like, what were you thinking about? I don't know. Were you thinking about the future? Were you thinking about the present? Like what, what, what was going on on inside of you? It's hard not to think about the future, but what yeah. I had learned, um, and it was really, really critical to my journey with Ryan, um, because I have to say for anyone who's gone through it, um, going through it with a spouse is really difficult. I mean, he's my best friend and love my life, and that is hard. Um, but when it's your child, take that and multiply it um, yeah. by a huge multiplier. Um, and so fortunately, and and the timing of it all was incredible, but also an incredible blessing. Not only yeah. did I understand more about heart failure and, and all of the things that I learned about the physiology of it and things like that, but I had also learned really acutely with Steve not to think too far into the future. So with anything, and I imagine it's the same with any health journey, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or heart failure or anything else, there's a journey that you're on a road. There's a journey that you're following and you're getting 
information kind of one or two steps at a time. The, the medical community knows like they're thinking of the long term, but they're planning for the next couple of steps in that journey. And they know, and what I had to learn the hard way was they know that at any of those steps, something can be introduced, some variable can be introduced, some reaction can happen that's unexpected. Any number of things can happen that throw you off of that path. Um, and what I learned, had learned through Steve and did not repeat with Ryan is that I was looking literally one step ahead. I, I, because when Steve was going through his journey, it was like, um, you know, his heart was at a rate. We knew that he needed some assistance for his heart and things like that. And so you were kind of looking forward to, all right, well, they'll get him stabilized and then they'll look at this LVAD option as well as others. We'll see if medication helps it. Like there was all of this. And, and instantly in that case, my mind was going to, okay, we'll get this fixed. And then mm. hopefully he'll be home by Thanksgiving. Like that was where mm. my mind went because he was, you know, it was a great care team. We were hearing all of these options and things like that. And then he got COVID and he tanked and suddenly mm -hmm. he's on life support. And suddenly all those plans are washed and you've got a new reality in front of you. And, and that only has to happen a couple of times before you realize how, how much energy that takes and how hurtful and, and demoralizing it can be yeah. that suddenly I would, I got it. Like, I've just got to look at what, what is our next benchmark? What's the next mm -hmm. thing that we need to happen? What's the next step on this journey? And I'm going to be completely focused on that. So mm -hmm. by the time I got to Ryan's situation, even with all of the additional emotion that was happening there, I knew, you know, while I was driving to Cleveland, um, my next thought was arriving. What time will I arrive in Cleveland? How will I find out where to meet the ambulance that Ryan's riding in mm -hmm. and get to him? Um, what do I, you know, I was thinking no further than that because I knew th that to do otherwise would be to put myself, put my it would expend my energy in a way that was not productive. Right. And in a way that you can't control. Can't control. You know? Exactly. Precisely. You can't control it. I was just, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I recorded a podcast with a cardiac ICU nurse that I've known for a long time. And she's taking care of kids with congenital heart disease and had her own cancer journey and just mm -hmm. had gone through a lot of things. But what we kind of came to, we talked about hope, but like hope happens in the present moment. Yes. You know, that it's like, it, it, it's and it's like you know the age-old things that we're supposed to learn is to you know just live in the present yes. which is really hard to do but just your story just made me think of that as like sometimes the challenges in our life teach us the gift of the present moment it's just right now like yes. we don't have control over the future we're not living in the past like we're right here right now and you know that's like a a hard lesson to learn in general for humans I think mm -hmm. but one of the gifts that comes from going through really hard things. A hundred percent. Yes. Of course, you always have that aspiration of the happy ending and the, mm. you know, this is all going to be okay and things like that. Mm. But, but it, that puts you, 
directionally in a path, but the steps from there, it's, you know, like you said, control what you can control. And sometimes like there are, there were moments in this journey where the things I could control were very, very little, (laughs) very little. And that makes the, you know, that level of mindfulness, like, you know, it might be, you know, where am I going to sit in the hospital room is your choice, like is what you can control or like, you know, being, telling yourself to be mindful of what's still wonderful in the worst of circumstances. Like you've, you've got to get really, really intentional and focused on sometimes Mm -hmm. very, very small successes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Did you have like a mother's intuition about Ryan's journey or even your husband's? Like, did you have any sense of things like, you know, did that help you make decisions or, you know, sometimes we just get those like little knowings as mothers, especially. Did you sense anything like that through your journey? I think, um, I mean, for both, it was very different. And I think that that's the, the, the other gift of this is I had this, you know, in the midst of all of it, this incredible time and focus to think of each of them as individuals. And um, in my husband's case, it was thinking about, um, you know, I actually had to speak to a panel of doctors um, who, you know, panels of doctors decide on things like LVADs and heart transplants. You have a a panel of people who decide whether or not the patient is someone who gets that treatment because they're expensive and they have a lot of factors that go into their success. And, And at the time, my husband was incapacitated and I had to defend to a panel that he had more life to live, um, that he would want this, that despite the, um, inconveniences and, and, uh, the adjustment of this very radical treatment that, that he would want it. And so I found myself having to voice for him, his will to live and what he had to live for. And that was really life altering for me. Um, because I, I had to think about it, not from my perspective, like, of course, I still want a husband, my kids still want a father. But what does he want? What is does he have to live for? Um, and put that into words um, to a panel that's going to decide his fate. Um, and And at that point, that was really it, it wasn't so much intuition as it was insight that has strengthened an already strong marriage going mm-hmm. forward and really mm-hmm. put me into a perspective to continue to support him in his, mm-hmm. in his journey. Um, for Ryan, the, the time that this happened, you know, this happened for him at a time where he was coming into his own as a young adult and pulling away from my influence um, and wanting to be independently himself. Um, and so it was, it was difficult. I had to almost pull back a little bit from some of what my intuition was. You know, I wanted to hang on. I wanted to just wrap him up and carry him through this journey. 
And that wasn't my role anymore. He's, he was 21 years old and everything about his life and our relationship, he was telling me explicitly and implicitly that he was ready to be his own, his own man, his own Mm -hmm. adult. And so my instinct to just want to wrap him up and carry him had to be translated into I'm here to support. My arms are still here. I will still lift him up if he needs it. But it was almost like, um, you know, sometimes when, when someone is walking in front of you, you're just standing behind with your hands there, ready to catch them if they need you to, but never really needing to. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was, so I had to sort of rein that in. And, and I had my moments, you know, I had my mom moments where I was probably, you know, getting, getting more motherly Mm -hmm. in a protective kind of, um, let me do this for you way than he needed. But he was, you know, our time together was really beneficial and, and unusual. Like, um, Mm -hmm. we joked that, you know, there aren't a lot of mothers who spend, you know, have the opportunity to spend, you know, eight hours a day, seven days a week with our 21 year old son in a room where it's just the two of you. So there were, but some of the advantages of that time in that conversation was that he could be really clear and I'm, and I'm really proud, like, and this is, has nothing to do with his heart condition, but he's, he, he's learned in his life to be able to express what he needs and to articulate his emotions. And he was really good about letting me know the things that were his part to own and what he needed from me. And I followed Mm -hmm. that advice and it was, it was different for both of them, but um, Mm. there was something beautiful about both of both of the way, the way that both of them handled it as well. I think that's really neat what you said about, you know, spending all that time with your son and I've heard other parents and, you know, I spent a lot of time in the hospital with my son. Like it Mm -hmm. is on one hand, it's absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it's a real gift to be able to sit with somebody and have this real quality time, you know, it's like, and as our kids get older, they, they do want to do their own thing and they think they know everything. Yes. (laughs) My 14 year old does, you know, it's, yeah. And so, but there it is. So it's, it's back to that present moment thing you said before, it's like getting the gift out of the moment, which was just sitting with your son and, and having that time with him, which I think is, is really incredible. And, you know, and then also allowing him to kind of be himself, which I think is really, because it is, I mean, there are so many parts of that journey and, and every stage and, and there's so many choices to be made. And, um, you know, I, I also think I noticed that about Ryan too. He's, he, he knows what he thinks and he has like a sense of himself. Mm-hmm. And I just, if I could ask you about that for a second, it's further down in my questions, but as a mother, like I, I know from everything that I've been through and my, and my husband and I have worked through, it's like, you have to be in touch with yourself. When you go through these things, you have to get to know yourself. You have to 
and I, and I have, you know, my 14 year old and my 11 year old, I, I want to instill that in them as young men. Cause I think in our culture, we need men who know how they feel and are willing yes. to talk about it. And so, you know, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Or is there any advice you have <laughs> for mothers about, you know, how to instill that in our kids so that when they do face something hard, that they sort of have those tools to be able to work through it? Yeah, I don't know if I if I have anything magical. Um, I do have a philosophy, and I think that my husband and I share it. I think it's been something that's come through in that, you know, we believe that, like, as as individuals, like, we believe it for each other. Like, we're responsible for ourselves and our own happiness and our own journey. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not for anyone else to make you happy. So when I went into a relationship, into the relationship with my husband and into our marriage, we didn't come into that marriage thinking we need the other one for a happy, Mm -hmm. fulfilled life. We came in as fulfilled or in the, in the journey of trying to be fulfilled individuals who made each other better. And I, I hope that what we communicated to our kids, what I communicate to both of them is that you don't need uh, somebody that you're dating or a boss to validate you or a coach to validate you. Um, You just need to understand that it's, it's your responsibility to find what gives you joy, what makes you feel accomplished, what motivates you and pursue that. Um, And be, you know, take advice and take input and accept all of that and, and find somebody that you love that makes you better, but don't need it. Like still take that on to yourself. If you're having a bad day, take responsibility to make that day better. Um, however you need to do it. Um, and, and be mindful along the journey. Like one of the, the, and, and and when I hear my adult kids repeat it, it gives me such joy is that when they were growing up, like I saw a quote somewhere that was, um, that in the morning when you wake up, instead of saying, Oh, I'm tired or, Oh, I should, you know, I got so much to do today. This day is going to be, this day is going to suck that you wake up and say something wonderful is going to happen today. And it's just a way of just waking up and, and training your mind to look for what's good and wonderful. And when my kids had particularly bad, like it's finals week or they had something really stressful or whatever, they would leave the house, like literally leave the house to get into their car, or get on the bus. And they'd say, something wonderful is going to happen today. <laughs> no, you know, like how did it, but the way the, it was the words that were important. And mm. even through all of this, like sitting in a hospital room, like, I know there were days where Ryan was like, something wonderful is going to happen today. Like, mm. I can't just live with no hope that, and sometimes that wonderful thing was so small um, that unless you were looking for it, you wouldn't even notice it, but it could have been mm. the kindness of a nurse. It could have been, you know, um, there were days where he had a great conversation with the woman who um, like cleans the hospital rooms would have this really just 
joyful conversation with him and that would be his thing. And, um, and both of my kids, I think, look for that, look for the wonderful and they look for ways to just take control of their own destinies in whatever way they can. Wow. That's amazing advice. That self-ownership. I, I think that's, that's amazing. And I want to, so it's so cool that you said that because last season I interviewed a major league baseball pitcher and one of the things that he said is that his mom always said to him, you can do anything you want to do. Like when he was little and she would say it to him over and over again, and then he would repeat it. And he said a lot of times he wasn't the fastest or the best, but he had this drive inside of him that he believed that he could do anything that he wanted to do. Okay. And so he talked about how that helped him out, out basically, you know, pitch other people essentially into his role. And I have a son who's had a lot of challenges in school and, and some other things. And I always tell him every day, hard work pays off. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when he doesn't want to go to his tutoring or he doesn't want to do stuff, I'm like, hard work. He's like, pays off. Yeah. You know, like, like, so I just think that this is such a cool as a mother for all the moms listening. It's like really how much, how important it is like the words we breathe into our kids Yes, and how, just repeating ourselves, even when they don't want to hear it and how much that impacts them. And I'm going to steal that one about if something <laughs> wonderful is going to happen today. Cause I love that. And it's just, uh, again, it's a simple things, but it's like this, this really beautiful gift we can give our kids as mothers of believing, breathing life and, in and, you know, agency into them that really helps them to kind of weather their life. I love that, Kelly. Yes, thank you. Thank That's you. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not That's... mine. I don't, I wish I could attribute I know, the quote to someone else. Doing. Yeah. It's very, very, very cool. So I want to ask you about the, you know, the sentiment that we hear often is that people say, oh my gosh, I have no idea how you're doing that. How could you go? How could you make mm-hmm. it through that? You know, and I've heard that many times in my life and I have my own answer now that I give people, but how does that sentiment sit with you or, and how do you see that? Or how did you feel when people would say that to you? It, it's unsettling to me. Like I, number one, I, I, you know, like a lot of people, I don't probably accept compliments as graciously as I should. I, mm-hmm. I accept them with, you know, a, a little bit of embarrassment. But in addition to that, I also, was struck by, you know, people, especially the sentiment, I could never do what you did. Oh, if it was me, I could have never done it. And it, it never sits with me because there was absolutely no moment in time when I did something that was something that ever, no one else could do. Everybody that I know, every person that is in my life could absolutely walk through this same journey because number one, you have to, number one, like you're, you're, you're sitting in a chair where, you know, your choice is you wake up in the morning or you don't and, and you wake up to the situation that you're faced with, but everything was just, it was just, there was no monumental task or any huge thing that I did. It was just, I just kept, walking forward. I kept taking the next step. Um, and that's what anyone would do in this situation. Like it's, and so it, I, I think that everyone is capable of it. I'm 
glad that everyone doesn't have to <laughs> like like not everybody has yeah. to go through this dramatic set of circumstances but everybody is capable of it and and it's all relative like you know it's it's the same thing that you do every single day you just do it under a dramatic set of circumstances mm-hmm. um and and i think that that you know everyone is capable everybody mm-hmm. has that within them um and sometimes the dramatic set of circumstances just gives you a perspective that you can then take forward to everything else um in a way that actually blesses your life um as much as it as it stresses it that's so true so what perspective have you gained like what's the perspective that you carry into your life now that's maybe different than you had before i think it's the the mindfulness um of seeing the the joy and the value in the now and the today instead of planning for things to calm down or for mm-hmm. this next big thing to happen so then i can you know focus on you know whatever it is there you know i i think that before all this happened, I spent a lot of time thinking, you know, I'd be busy at work or busy with kids stuff at school or whatever. And I'd think, well, I will take care of myself or I'll, I'll relax or I'll have fun after I get through this next thing. And then that will be my reward for this work. Mm. And now I don't delay that. I think, you know, every day is its reward. Um, every day there's something around you that is something to celebrate or something to feel good about, or um, there's time to take care of yourself and do it now. Like don't wait until things calm down or things slow down or whatever, because they'll, they'll always be something else that comes in. And so um, being more intentional about those priorities and just being, more present. Again, it's not, it's not a, a magical thought that no one's ever thought of before, but you know, it, it forces you into that perspective in a very explicit way that I can then carry forward to mm-hmm. everything that I do. Well, it's not something that's like necessarily like an earth shattering idea, but here, but as humans, that's like some of the hardest things for us to do. Exactly. Right. And so it sounds easy but the practice is hard and so that's why it's a practice right we have to try it out absolutely it out right yes for sure for sure you like yeah even after all of all of it everything that my family went through like there were times where we were like in the hospital room and i was sitting there looking at ryan and i was thinking i can't even imagine what in the world will ever, like I thought to times where I was annoyed that he didn't clean his room or I was frustrated with some at, and I was like, I I don't think I'll ever be able to like say no to him ever again. I don't think I'll ever be frustrated with him again. And, you know, um, you come home and like, you know, 10 minutes after he's home and he's kicked his gigantic size 14 shoes off and I trip over them in the kitchen like I'm annoyed again and that and there's yeah. but there's but there's beauty in that annoyance do you know what I mean yes. like there's just kind of like 
okay, like instead of being just annoyed by the shoes, let's be annoyed by the shoes, but also feel the blessing that my adult son is under my roof spending time here and that that energy and that life is in the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like blessing, realizing the blessings in the mundane things. That's right. Yeah, that 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 it's just there. Absolutely. And that's and that's that's really that's really beautiful. So you went through this process and like you were working the entire time, I take it, mm-hmm. and you were I'm assuming cuz families have to eat and pay mortgages and yes. have insurance and all the things that they ha- that is still continues on while this is happening. And I'm wondering there's there's two parts to this question. One I'd love to know about you know, your support system, because you mentioned it a couple of times. And then I also would, I'm wondering, you know, when we go through these circumstances, like we see life in a different way, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And you see, um, you know, you see, but I always say you peel behind a curtain that you never knew existed. Like you didn't, you know, you didn't right. know what it was like to have people have heart transplants, right. but now you're in a world of people that do. And so like what, I guess, recommendations or tangible experience that you have like this is something we should think about maybe do a little bit differently when it whether it comes to patient care or health care or you know supporting people who are working while their people are sick like so I don't know if you can share like maybe some ahas that you are like you know if I could change something yes if I had a magic wand like these are the things people should pay attention to yeah I I think that for me, it came down to self-care. So what I would say to anyone and what I do say to anybody who's in any kind of caregiving situation, whether it's just day-to-day parenting or you're taking care of an elderly parent or you're taking care of somebody who's ill, is don't neglect taking care of yourself. And that's going to require being intentional about it and making it a priority. Um, And that priority is not going to come naturally. It's not going to come without, like you're going to have to fight through some guilty feelings sometimes and things like that. But you, you can't help the people that you need to help if you're depleted. And there are a lot of parts of the process that are depleting for the caregiver. Um, And so, you know, everything that I learned kind of almost a a lot of it falls under that bucket of self-care. Like the mindfulness was self-care. The, uh, the, the kind of, you know, setting boundaries to the, to the people that want to be involved in the process. So we had this really dramatic situation, you know, it's a, We've got these two people with these. And and so we had people that were very close to me contacting and wanting to be informed on everything that was happening in the journey and things like that. And I had a very good friend tell me, like, you're not obligated. Like, they want that information, but it's not your obligation to keep everyone informed. You don't have to do a blog on the dated, you know, the minute by minute happenings of Ryan's recovery or Ryan's journey. Um, And so I let go of the things that didn't serve me by replenishing my energy. And I invited, intentionally invited in the things that did. So, you know, I, I had conversations with friends who 
didn't even know what was going on. Like I'm not big on social media. So I actually like had friends that I would call that had no idea what was happening. And I would give them a little bit of information, but say like, I really just want to talk to you like about Mm -hmm. something that's not this. Um, I walked a lot, a lot of movement was medicine. Like um, I walked to the hospital. Um, I, in both cases, I had a space for myself. And I think that would be the advice that I would share with hospitals um, to the extent that they can, or just in support of the organizations that do this, the Ronald McDonald houses. There's a place called the Transplant House in Cleveland that provide um, studio apartments and even you know two-bedroom apartments for families that are awaiting or recovering from transplant. Um, in Nashville, we were connected to like corporate housing, which was frankly not as great as the transplant house, but it gave a space to not be in the hospital, not surrounded by everything that's there, but to just sleep, be mindful, re- refresh, like be, you know, use my own coffee cup. Um, yeah. Like just have a semblance of of a home in the midst of being somewhere that is not your home um, was really, really important to me personally um, because, you know, day to day home is where I get my energy. You know, I like to get my hands in dirt. I like to, um, you know, shift little pieces of furniture around. I like to water my plants. I like to pet my dogs. And so like having that space for that was really important. And I think there's a lot of organizations that provide it. And I think some, you know, hospitals do a better job than others of, of doing it. Um, but that was, and, and luckily I knew immediately that that was a priority. So, I prioritize finding those spaces in both of my situations very quickly. Um, But I would advise hospitals and, and doctors, and it's usually like a social worker at the hospital that, that connects you to be really, um, to really guide people very strongly into finding that space um, that where they can establish a home base that's not the hospital room. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is absolutely important. And it's been, I echo that from my own experience and through the organization that we've had, we've provided that to people and I know how important that is, but I, th- I think it's very interesting and cool that you recognize that about yourself and then sought that out. I don't think a lot of people do that as much. And so I think that's another learning from you today is that you listened to your intuition or that need that you had, and then you acted on it and said, I need this. I'm going to seek this out and create this for myself so that I can be the person that Ryan needs to meet me to be, that Steve needs to be, that I need to be for myself. And I think that's a very, really insightful thing that you shared that I think a lot of people can, can learn from. Again, something simple, but I think especially as women, sometimes we don't ask for what we need. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I think that part of that might've been another residual lesson from going through it with, 
with Steve. So the entire time my mm. husband was in the hospital, it was still COVID restrictions. There were no visitors allowed. That so was, that had to be so hard. I was managing that virtually, but I also recognized the blessing in that, right? So I recognized that I could get on Zoom calls with his doctors or, you know, be on, be on phone calls and be, be managing all of that anxiety, but, you know, be at home and taking the comfort from that. So I, I transferred that lesson um, when I was, when it was Ryan. Um, and I, I can't not mention, like you asked about support network, like what my friends provided to me, friends and family was just supporting that comfort. So, you know, when I, when I was in Cleveland, I received care packages from my, my lifelong friends here who, who sent a throw, a throw blanket and a pair of slippers and, um, you know, some tea bags and just things that helped me to create that space. And that was so appreciated and so lovely. And, and they weren't, you know, if I, if I said to anyone that I talked to friends or family, like, I just can't talk about this right now. Like it's changing. Things are changing so rapidly. And there's always that period of time where things are just touch and go for a while. And I was like, I can't, I know that you want to know what's going on. I know that you love him too, but mm -hmm. I just can't, I just can't be your source of information for this right now. Like, here's what I, I'll give you the, the synopsis and then like, tell me, you know, how the play was last week. Tell me yeah. about what's happening with you. Um, you know, let's talk about your recommendations for a book that I can be reading or something like that. But um, I need this time to recharge. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that you asked for that and I, and, and are modeling that for people. I, and through this conversation, I think is incredible because I think it's something that is needed in life, just in life in general, but it's needed, especially when we're in these challenging times too. So thank you for, for that. I wanted to ask you two, a couple more things before we end. And one is about, um, your daughter, I mean, she went through this too, and she's in, you know, a behind the scenes person who watched her father go through receiving a transplant and her brother and you being here, there and everywhere. Like, I don't, I'm not asking you to speak for her because she's her own person, mm -hmm. but you know, how, how is she doing? And like, just what, what, what did you notice in her? I mean, she's, I'm sure an equally amazing young woman. Yes. Um, I, uh, yeah, in, in all of this recounting all this, like this is the part that will probably bring me to tears because I feel like in all of it, I almost feel like she's carried the heaviest burden of all. Like she watched, you know, 50% of her immediate family go through yes. these incredible journeys, like people that she, she loves. Um, and because of, you know, when it happened and, and COVID and, you know, the, in, in Cleveland, I was the only one allowed in the, there was also restrictions there. So I was the only one allowed in the hospital. She had to do it remotely. Um, and her strategy was to just, and, and supported by all of us was to try to stay focused on her own things. Like right now, like the, the, 
best that you can do for me because she was very much like what can I do for you mom how can I help and I was like honestly just live your life as happily as possible right now um so that I, so that I have one less thing to worry about like yeah, I I, yeah. I want it's it's helpful for all of us to know that you're thriving and that you're doing well um and and she did that but while carrying this burden and obviously you know the connection between Ryan and Steve we we determined later um that it's a genetic predisposition sure. And um, Devin was genetically tested and, and she, she carries the gene. So on top of all of it, she also knows that, you know, this potential is in her genes. Like it's in, it's in her genes. And even if it never manifests in it, and it might not, it's something that she can pass along. And, and that weighs heavily. And I have so much admiration for the way that she carries that um because she she takes i think she takes the lessons i think she looks for the positive um but she also you know psychologically i as a mother worry a lot more about her having to carry that forward than i think i I can't say than I ever was in any of the other journeys, but it's so different. Like the, the other, you know, watching Ryan go through it and, and especially like his approach to it is, yeah. okay, what's the next barrier? Cause I'm going to bust through it. Um, <laughs> like that's just his athlete's mindset. Sure. And then, you know, with my daughter, I have her carrying this, you know, this potentiality of, a, a very difficult journey and having to deal with it just purely psychologically. There's nothing she can do to, you know, there's nothing in her control there other than her mindset about it. So I think it poses a really big challenge, but also a challenge that I think equips her incredibly for an exceptional life. Um, because if she can do it with this situation, I think she can, she can do it. She can conquer anything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I always, you know, sometimes for the things that my family has gone through, I've, I feel guilty, you know, that my other kids have to witness things or go through things. And I have those moments when I just feel bad about it or guilty about it. You know, moms, we want to fix, like you you want to hold Ryan and just wrap them up and 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 in my best moments I realize that these are going to be the things that are going to make them yes do really exceptional things with their life and that the world is in desperate need of seeing people to teach them how to do hard things yes and to grow through them and then to take those things and to do something with it which is the whole point of the heart strong idea is yes you know we need we need people to lead those those to model that for us. I think our culture is in desperate need of that. And so it's like, on one hand, you're like, Oh God, I don't want my kid to have to be the person to do that. And on the other hand, it's like how incredible that they are doing it. Yes. Yes. And and it, yeah, you, you build, you build an, an admiration for them too. That is that it enhances your relationship 
as a parent. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's beautiful, but it, yeah, it, it also is hard. It's that dichotomy. Like, you know, it even is. when you reflect on your, if any adult listening reflects on their own life and thinks about something they, you know, are proud of, and they think about what brought them there, it was probably something that was pretty crappy to go yes, through. Um, absolutely. But yet it's with our children, time. like, oh my gosh, like I can remember having little kids, you know, when, when they were tiny and I'd get like personally affronted if there was another kid on the playground that didn't want to play with them in the sandbox. And, yes. and like, I didn't want them to have face that like rejection or pain, but you know, now I can look and say, everything hard that happened to me made me better somehow. And I've got to, you know, we've got to look at the bad things that happen, all of this and say, it's, it's preparing them for something, something wonderful, yeah. something wonderful. Something wonderful <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I want to ask you one more thing. I ever, so on this season of the podcast, I've asked everyone this question and so the season I focused on who we become and what we create from the heartaches that we witness in the world around us and then the adversities that we face, like who are we becoming in the process? So my question for you is, what do you really like about yourself, about you, Kelly, because of what you face? Like, what is something that has grown out of it that you're just like, I'm just really proud about this about myself. I really like this about myself. I... It's going to sound really small, especially with like, Jessica, your story, I think is, is so touching and, and what you've done with your story, building this platform. It, it just seems so remarkable and the, and the, the influences is vast. And I look at people like you and people who face much like the most tragic of results of this situation. Like I, I'm lucky, like I, I we walked a path and it came to a happy ending. It doesn't always happen that way. And people who don't get the happy ending, but still build the strength out of it. Like every, I, I admire it so greatly. And I hope that someday I might do something bigger with my experience. But right now I, I have to say that what I like the most about myself and that what I'm taking away is just perspective. And again, it's a, it's one word and it seems so tiny, but it is so, it manifests in every single, every single aspect of my life and in ways that I don't think I can understand, like how those micro choices every day based on the perspective that I gained are going to accumulate into some end result that I think will bring me to some place that is spectacular. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just, you know, people go through their entire lives and never get the perspective that it's about how you face every day. It's not about, you know, getting through it and going to Hawaii for two weeks. And then those two weeks in Hawaii are epic. It's about, you know, what you're doing later this afternoon and the relationships that you're building and the love that you're finding and finding the the beauty and the, and the joy and, you know, 
a walk around your neighborhood. Um, that mm -hmm. is what it's about. Um, yeah. And and I think that there are people who die and never learn that. And so I'm grateful that I I have it and that I'm living with it. And I think that I'm making choices based on that every single day, several times a day that bring good things back into my life. It's like the ripple effects. Like every, the, when you were talking, all I could think of was just like a little, you know, the ripple effects in water about how you, and the choices that you're making, the micro choices are then like influencing the people next to you. And it's just the beautiful ripple effects of Steve and Ryan and Devin and you and your story and the way that you are approaching this world and influencing this world be because of just who you are and how you're approaching it that I think is the most beautiful gift that you're offering. It's really incredible. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly, for joining me. I love this conversation. And I think that people that hear this podcast are really going to just, it's like a masterclass in how to live a really beautiful present life. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me here on the HeartStrong Podcast. Please rate and review this podcast and share an episode that you love with a friend. Because when you do, you help us grow our mission of encouraging people to grow through the challenges of their lives and to live their full potential. We'll see you next time.